Uh, welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. We are guides for the Hollywood's Haunted tours in Hollywood, California. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. Uh, to some of our craziest tour groups. Our hosts today are Jameson. Hey, hey. In person. Finally. Um, I actually measured out six feet. There's a measuring tape here. Right? I like it. Like, that that, pro- like it. that proves that well, there's a measuring tape. Where did you get all this plastic from? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Right, exactly. Thank you. And the air wash you went through. Uh, our also, also our other host, T.A.B. Is <laughs> in the studio on the bed. Don't forget about me. Um, and of course myself. Okay, I'm not just narrating. <laughs> One day I'll just do that. And Jameson read aloud. Woo woo. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, this is going to be a, a good one. As I would always say, it will be a doozy. <laughs> a super doozy. A super doozy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is a sign that this should be the last beer. Um, but yeah, this this one will be cool. This I feel like this is going to be very uh, historical. Or at least mine, mine was very, very historical, very, yeah, Los Angeles historical. Wait, wait, which which one was yours? What was you, you doing, I had the murder house of Los Feliz. Los, oh. Los Feliz. Cool. Ah, I like how you said that. Yeah, there's so much mystery in that. <laughs> have Feliz. you heard of the murder house? Or the murder mansion? Ooh. Ooh. It also goes by that, too, so you it's, get two names. I feel like murder mansion rolls off the tongue better. Murder Mansion, yeah. sure. Um, I so, I guess, um, since we're all in person. I think you should go first, though, because you, you're the murder house. The <laughs> real murder house. <laughs> the murder house. The murder the house. Murder yeah. house. Well, then I get to be the murder mansion. If he's the murder house, then I'm the murder mansion. Oh, great. I'm just a measly murder <laughs> house. Oh. What happened in there? <laughs> Jimison and I can, we can rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Uh, should, when? should we do it after yours? I don't know. Should we build up the suspense? Should, I don't know. <laughs> Is someone listening? You're like, oh my god. Is he going to do rock What's or gonna paper? Ha- okay, we'll do it after yours. Will they do a paper both? And have to redo it? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Oh Stay tuned. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, cool. All right, fine. Uh, I'm going to talk to you guys about The Murder House. Yeah, from American Horror Story is probably its biggest uh, claim to fame, really, definitely recently. Do you want to say why that was your assignment? Um, no. Oh, yeah, I do, yeah. You had a request for uh, that, I was right? like, yeah. I, not that I didn't want to say that. I meant I forgot. Um, but, yeah, it was, this was, uh, yeah, was, uh, somebody asked us about, um, what was the quote? I, I should have written down that he, post He again. just basically asked if we go by the murder house on the tour, which... Or we, if we uh, talk about it on the tour, which we do talk about American Horror Story, because, you know, that's... Sure, it comes up. I would say, like, yeah. 30% of our guests are American Horror Story 30%? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, all yeah. of them? Yeah, exactly. All right, thirty percent right, mention it. Just there the, you, there you, <laughs> you know, yeah. just the women who are eighty percent of our demographic. That's very true. Oh. Yes, um, and our guests love when we use percentages. That's why we're so. Sixty <laughs> percent uh, of them love that. But uh, if you haven't, uh, yeah, heard of American Horror Story, uh, it is a show uh, created by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. Uh, it aired uh, the Murder House, which season, which was the first season, uh, aired uh, between October fifth and December twenty first, two thousand eleven. 
It was produced by Fox. It was the beginning of what became a huge series. What are they on, like, season 10? Something like that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's uh, come back a few times. Uh, The Murder House, uh, as it became known, is featured in the pilot season as well as in Roanoke Hotel and currently the airing season, which is American Horror Story Apocalypse. Um, they kind of revisit a few different things, as you were saying. Uh, watching, uh, the... yeah, they bring back all everybody from Coven. It's awesome. Lots of lots of American Horror Story nostalgia. In this oh yeah, season but like sure. in like not like like a member berries way. That's good. Which is a South Park reference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but remember witches? Yeah, member berries. That's not, how nice. Uh, <laughs> not like oh, you remember, you know, oh my you god. But, like, where it justifies and, you know, it makes sense and you're happy to see it because you're like, oh, that's this. I mean, I... Yeah. Well, it's it's like more of, like, a connection, you know, right? Like, when you you hear about, like, Pulp Fiction being connected to, you know, other two... Reservoir Dogs or something. Sure, like, ooh, that's cool, you know? It's like little little Easter eggs, you know, for the audience. Uh Yeah, Yeah. This is awesome. It's bringing it all full circle and, um... Let's be real. Coven is the best of all of the series. I would agree with that. Yes, but, yeah, it is. Weakest Maybe. ending, but best series. Definitely best written. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, maybe opinion. we'll maybe um, we'll fight later. We'll fight we we later. do have That's another okay. episode coming up where we get pretty deep in American Horror Story, so we yeah, won't, we won't we go. go too crazy. I have a right couple. Now. Yeah, I have a couple episodes planned <laughs> having to do with American Horror Story. Right. So. Nice, yeah, we'll, we'll cover it. Yeah, we'll cover um, it. <laughs> so, Murder House uh, centers on the Harmon family, Dr. Ben Harmon and Vivian and their daughter Violet, who move from Boston to Los Angeles after Vivian has a miscarriage and Ben has an affair. Uh, they move into a restored mansion, uh, unaware that the house is haunted by the ghost of its former residents and their victims. Oh, I think I learned this, and I, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure about this law, but apparently you don't have to tell the buyers if there was a murder uh, within three years. Three years? Is that the oh. new thing? Oh, okay. No, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but what I read was that they well, said after three years, we, you don't have to say anything. When we first started doing the tours, it was like seven or something. Yeah, three. That's awesome. Maybe it, 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 it could have got that could be misinformation, but... <laughs> but that's, that's, that's they, do, they do have to disclose it for a certain amount of time. That's, that's, that's interesting, because people do ask that a lot on the tour as well. Um, so yeah, they move into the restored mansion, which is the murder house that I'm discussing, uh, unaware that it's haunted by the ghost and its residents, uh, stars Connie Britton, Dylan McDermott, Evan Peters, uh, Jessica Lang, of course, who we love, uh, Dennis O'Hare and Thaisa Farmiga. Thaisa. Yeah, right. I definitely butchered that. I, she's like, she's... it's Jessica. she's the the daughter right yeah Uh, yes she's She's great she's also in coven but Mm -hmm. uh i do not know how to pronounce her name right yeah we'll just say i pronounced it right um so the i looked it up on uh, several different sites also i should mention that i got my information from the hollywood reporter uh dot com captivatinghouses.com the pacific coast architecture database and appsari.com as well as a little bit of Wikipedia in there, sprinkled in. <laughs> um, I checked my sources. Um, but yeah, so I looked it up on uh, CaptivatingHouses.com, and it actually had the listing for it. It had been sold for $3.2 million. 3.2? Um, Damn. 
and it's uh, in Westchester Place, Los Angeles, California. It's uh, Country Club Park. Uh, it was also known as uh, Billionaire Row uh, because it was um, next to a few different places. Uh, few, sorry, one next second. Next to all the billionaires. Um, yeah, basically. Or the I guess the most notable would be the Kinney's. Uh, sounds familiar. Abbott Kinney, if you've heard of the Boulevard. Um, um, yes. Yeah, Abbott Kinney was a, he was <laughs> he was big into forest preservation. That was like his big thing when he came out here. But okay. the Kinneys owned tons of land basically, okay. and they bought land and they kind of like kept it safe. Cool. Uh, a lot of farmers were digging up trees and stuff or land where you know basically floods would happen and ruin the land, and so they kind of bought lots of land to preserve the forest. Um, and he was a big architect as well. He, um, the Venice, basically the Venice area at that point, um, it was a recreation area, but it was built on uh, July 4th, 1905. Uh, Venice became known as the Coney, the Coney Island of the Pacific. Hmm. Uh, by mid-January 1906, an area was built along the edge of the Grand Lagoon, um, which was what he built as well, if you've seen the Venice Canals. Yeah. That was his, his uh, idea. Um, he, uh, so that there was uh, amusement exhibits, uh, freak shows, rides. Uh, there was a trolley service that was available from downtown L.A. to Santa Monica. Wow. And, yeah, visitors were dazzled by the canals and gondolas and gondoliers that he brought in from Venice, Italy. Hmm. Um, there were ornate Venetian-style businesses, a full-sized amusement pier. Um, so that would have been like the Santa Monica Pier, basically, right. back then. Um, and around the entire park was a miniature steam railroad that ran around two and a half miles oh, around. Oh, man, it. those were so cool. Right, yeah. And I think that would have been so fucking cool to still have around. Like, yeah. Obviously a terrible thing for environment you know, or whatever. When you were talking about Sherlock Holmes... Uh, doing the Sherlock Holmes stuff and everything. Mm -hmm. the, the actor, the actor. I think I was kind of telling you about this, but the actor who played Sherlock Holmes in the, the like early nineteen hundreds, going into the twenties. Uh, the actor had a castle in Connecticut, and he built a train like that around his whole property. <coughs> so he had this mini steam train with him and a bunch of famous people. Oh my out god! With him and just that's... ride this train. It was like a four mile track or something. That's, like that. that's awesome. That's yeah. like that's like literally living like a child. That's yeah. awesome. I'm so, so jealous of that. Really, really cool. <laughs> if anybody out there in Connecticut, Gillette Castle, check it out. I'm gonna have to mm. check that out. Really, really yeah. Cool. <coughs> well, we could do an episode about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just have to head back. Neat out place. There. I'll show you pictures sometime. Um. Kenny and some of the nearby residents were aghast at some of the low-class shows that Venice began to offer, uh, but it was considered <laughs> the best collection of amusement devices on the Pacific Coast, and it did make a handsome profit. Uh, the other families that were close around were the Doheny's. Uh, the Doheny family is uh, oh, one that no. inspires a lot of uh, controversy and conspiracy. Oh, yeah. Um... The character J. Arnold Ross in Upton Sinclair's 1927 novel Oil, which was actually the inspiration for the 2007 film There Will Be Blood, mm -hmm. um, is loosely based on Doheny. Uh, while in L.A., Doheny found out that there were local reserves of natural asphalt, which uh, in places came to the surface, notably by the La Brea Tar Pits. There you go. Uh, so Doheny obtained a lease near downtown with $400 in financing from Canfield. 
he had saved money from the mining industry, which he originally had invested in uh, with his brother. That was the there will be blood type of thing, too. There was a lot of fighting there. Uh, his brother ended up passing away. Uh, in the fall of 1892, Doheny dug with a well with picks, shovels, and a windlass, uh, looking for asphalt, which from which oil could be refined. Um, he devised a drilling system involving a eucalypt, eucalyptus tree trunk. Uh, when clean, completed in 1893, the well reached 225 feet and produced 40 barrels of oil per day, which uh, is actually pretty impressive. So the house itself uh, became a historical and cultural landmark. It boasts six stunning Batchelder tile fireplaces, Tiffany stain and leaded glass, Italian brickwork, Peruvian mahogany paneling, a cathedral ballroom that was once a chapel with uh, 56-foot ceilings, a huge basement, and a world-class recording studio. Uh, originally, it was owned by Alfred Feist Rosenheim. It's now called the Rosenheim Mansion. Uh, Rosenheim was an architect born in St. Louis, Missouri, and a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. He was one of the leading architects in L.A., California, uh, in the early 20th century. His main works included the Hellman Building. Um, that's one that's uh, you'll you we pass by it on our tour um, a lot, or at least we used to. It's closer to the Pantages. Um, but it was the largest steel frame building in Los Angeles. Which one is that? Um, Describe it to me. It's literally, it looks like a big block. You know, it's like if you're, if you were, mm -hmm. I'm gonna yeah, it look, right now. look it up. Yeah, you'll definitely, it's, Almost, it's, yeah. uh, he moved to Los Angeles in 1903 to, uh, oversee its construction, which continued to 1904. Uh, the impressive eight-story structure located in the heart of the city's new financial district um, uh, established his reputation. It's the RuPaul's Drag Race building, isn't it? Um, By Bordner's? No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> the architect and engineer of California wrote that the building universally is considered the finest architectural monument in Los Angeles. It, it cost an unprecedented $1 million dollars and it was built with a full steel skeleton frame, concrete floors, and metal partitions. And yeah, so 1903, that was that was definitely not done, obviously. What's up? Sorry, according to this, it's in downtown LA. It's not on. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one. Man, it looks very similar to that one then. It does, no. It, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, it was also, he also worked on the Hamburgers Department Store, the Second Church of Scientists, Scientists. <laughs> um, he also worked on, the, right, yeah, and, and not Scientologist. Um, that's also downtown too, uh, West Adams District, very large domed church. Um, you've definitely seen it. Um, he also designed Clune's Broadway Theater, uh, the Majestic Theater, the, Wait, the Jim Carrey movie? Right, yes, he designed that. Clune's <laughs> <laughs> um, Broadway Theater. Um, he also designed several homes. And he also apparently worked on nine different uh, roller coasters. Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which I couldn't find which roller coasters. And it also, also, it was like, 1900 you know so like the definitely that roller coaster does not still exist there, if it does it shouldn't i was gonna say santa cruz that one is really old that's true mm -hmm. that rickety mm -hmm. wood one in santa thing, cruz yeah. is like 19 
15 or something like that. Man, I hate wooden roller coasters. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, like a bad massage. <laughs> um... <laughs> I've done the one on Coney Island. It's pretty wicked. <laughs> that, yeah, it is pretty. Yeah, it's, yeah. That, yeah. That's hilarious. It's a neck breaker. He also uh, designed the Los Angeles Brewery. Um, this <laughs> was uh, Rosenheim designed this brewery shortly after he arrived in LA in 1903. It was a frequent for brewery owners to come there. Uh, many of the whom were German born, which he was, as well as because um, I kind of looked this up, and apparently the other. Um, brewing company that started out before then was Bavarian, hmm. um, which makes sense. You know, they, they did a lot of brewing. But I wanted to look up specifically what the Los Angeles brewery was, so I found the address. It doesn't, you know, the building itself doesn't exist. It's leveled. It's become like a museum or something now, you know. Hmm. Um, but so it was the L.A. Brewing Company uh, or the Eastside Beverage Company up until the 1920s. Then it became Zesto Beverage Company. I love and, Zesto. And that's because they were, uh, it was Prohibition. So they oh, continued okay. making business by making apple cider, pineapple juice, a root beer, and a they basically called it near beer. Mm. Hmm. So they could kind of get away with it, apparently, if it was like under a certain percentage. Also, apparently, they were like just making root beer and kind of letting it ferment you know like let it you know what uh, i mean like yeah. like which is funny they apparently tried doing that with uh pineapple juice too but it was really gross like when people ask for non-alcoholic beer sometimes they say do you have near beer so i'm wondering if that's where that came from Maybe, like i just thought sense. it was like you know a clever ha 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 near beer and stuff. right yeah i get it but if that was an actual product mm-hmm. you know like for instance we when i was a kid growing up my parents had a friend who they called moxie all the time and to me, his name, that was his name. I didn't know that wasn't his real name, but he, it was because there, there was a beverage called Moxie. Um, and he always drank that okay, because everybody would be partying. He was the sober guy, so he would drink Moxie all the time. And it wasn't until, like, you know, I was probably 13, 14, that I saw an old sign for, like, drink Moxie. And I was like, wait, what? That's a <laughs> beverage? I heard it's terrible. I've never tried it. Yeah, that's hilarious. I think it might exist in, like, small quantities or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah. And Tab is going away, too, by the way. Oh no! No more tab. Sorry, guys. I, I was about I've to say, didn't they bring it? Didn't it go away after the '80s, and then they brought it back? I thought so, so like, too. Again, yeah. like it's already, yeah. it's, it's going away again. Mm. Um, <laughs> lost it. I'm still sad over Blue Pepsi, but you know, Blue that, Pepsi. I remember Cl- Crystal Pepsi. That's right. Blue, was Pepsi, Blue Pepsi. Yeah. I remember that one. Um. So the yeah the near beer was called Brown Derby beer. Um, they also created Eastside Ale, Eastside Beer, Eastside Bach, and Eastside Old Cap. And I got all this information from RustyCans.com. Cool. Yeah, he had actually a lot of cool information on That's that. Me. Rosenheim became a fellow of the AIA um, in 1889, served as president of the Southern California chapter. Um, it was basically like an arts commission. Um, and they... He was apparently, it was a big scandal. Uh, he was removed from office, apparently, uh, after the commission rejected a proposal by a jeweler to erect an ornamental clock on the sidewalk. Rosenheim apparently offered uh, for a fee of $250 to prepare the drawings that he could safely guarantee would be approved by the commission. Uh, the Rosenheim drafted plans were then approved at a special meeting of the commission held in Rosenheim's office on Saturday morning. Rosenheim insisted he had done nothing improper, but the city council unanimously voted to remove him, and the local branch of the American Institute of Architects recommended a term of suspension from its ranks. 
Uh, he then died of heart disease at age 84, so hmm. he was, you know, he did fine. Oh, I wonder if that clock is the one by the Pantages. So. That's funny, I was thinking about that too, yeah. I couldn't, huh. I didn't, uh, I forgot to look that up. I'll so, just backtracking on the story, how are these guys again related to the house? What, what, because I kind of got a little bit confused as to why these guys are, how they're connected to the house um, ro- This is... Um, One of them lived there? Rosenheim was the uh, owner of the... the he was the... He was the first owner of this house. First owner, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the other guy was the one who built it? Like, had was the architect who built it? Um, no, he that was the on Billionaire Row. That was... Uh, oh, he was the, just one of the people yeah, that was exactly. on that? Okay, yeah. so you were just giving me some background on his neighbors and yeah. stuff? Got it, okay. Because, yeah, it was a very, very uh, rich part of the neighborhood. It kind of is still now. It's still a country club. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, for 3.2 million, I'd say it's the rich part of town. It's still okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a fucking really nice mansion, too. But apparently they... Um, I don't know. I think I mentioned it later, but I'll just mention it. Uh, they, um, they were going to. They were, they were desperately in need of repairs to the place. So FX got a sweet deal, apparently, filming American Horror Story there, because most of the money that they spent on it went into repairs for the building. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a give and take, but they did film a lot in there, so I'm sure they got their money back. Um, it was uh, also owned by a man named A.J. McQuatters. Um, he was a uh, mining magnet, or magnate. magnate is that, that's the way mm-hmm. I say it. Um, <coughs> then in the early 1930s, actor Edward Everett Horton lived in the mansion. After him, the Catholic Order of Nuns, the Sisters of Social Service, used the house as a convent and even added a chapel to the grounds, and that's the chapel that now exists today. Uh, in 1994, uh, the Northridge earthquake, uh, which damaged a lot of buildings, damaged the house, and the nuns put it on the market for a cool $3 million. Uh, and that's when it was declared a historical and cultural landmark in 1999, which was basically to keep it around. You know, mm-hmm. that was the only way to really make sure, because, you, you know, I'm sure the bills were very expensive on that. Um, the home was used in a series of films and television shows, such as, of course, American Horror Story, um, Spider-Man, Sea Biscuit, The X-Files, The Twilight Zone, Six Feet Under, Bones, Dexter, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. Uh, it was the frat house in the episode of Fear Itself, where Buffy and the gang got locked in on Halloween. Um, it's, but, I mean, you look at the house, and it's like, yeah, of course. Of course, like I would, it seems like a, an amazing place to film. People who bought the murder house uh, featured in the FX series uh, were actually, they were warned the last owner believed the home was haunted, and the hot spot was you know frequently visited by all the American Horror Story fans, but the people the people that bought it ended up suing the real estate company. Um, they, they said they failed to disclose that hundreds of people were coming around, you know, taking pictures of it, but they did say that, you know, this is used for filming and stuff like that, but they didn't disclose specifically, you Mm -hmm. know, what it was. Um, and then they also went on to claim that the mansion was haunted by two different ghosts. Um, The, The current owners did? Yes. Got it. Um, and this is, uh... So they went back on, what, their word or something, or... What do you mean? They, you said they... 
they they the, the owners claim that they ne- the the Coldwell banker uh, never released that this was a American horror story like house and that tons of people were coming by and taking pictures. Oh, okay. Because um, apparently people were, there was a, uh, also at least once a break-in where someone was trying to take some stuff from the house, you know, yeah. so. Um, but it's funny because the lawsuit echoes the first season plot from the FX series that the home is haunted, uh, which is how it earns the murder house nickname. Um, and so it becomes a tourist attraction um, like a cyclical tourist attraction, I guess, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's um, not not haunted, or I mean, I guess you could say it, it's haunted, but uh, this isn't the first famous home to cause problems for its owners. The Home Alone house in Winnetka, Illinois, in 2012 sold for nearly a million less than its listing price. Uh, the owner of Walter White's Albuquerque home from Breaking Bad put up a six-foot wrought iron fan- fence to keep out fans. Um, I can attest to that. Yeah, I, I have friends in Albuquerque that were talking about that. Like, <laughs> they're throwing like pizza on his roof and stuff like that. That's and, hilarious. Yeah, that's that makes sense. <laughs> I know the Brady Bunch house just sold recently. I think. Oh really? Yeah, that's just, over here. Yeah. Like yeah, in the North Hollywood. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, that's funny, and I was just about to mention that. And North Hollywood neighbors of the Brady Bunch house aren't happy after their HGTV this year won a bidding war for the property and promptly began construction. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. In the you were talking about the show uh, series Coven, uh, Marie Laveau's house in that series is currently listed on Airbnb, uh, which is in New Orleans. Uh, the house was constructed in 1855 and is considered. One of the oldest and scariest places in the world. Places. Um, it is huge and partially decayed, which only adds to the spooky factor. Um, it was built for Louise Vitry and her French consort, Archie Corcel. The house was home to their couple and their seven slaves. Uh, the house holds a great place in Hollywood's heart and has been used in various shoots, including American Horror Stories Coven, Angela Bassett, Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, Sarah Paulson, and more have also been there to shoot. And if you are brave enough, you can stay there, too, for only $317 a night. That's not bad. It it can accommodate six guests at a time. It has three bedrooms and three bathrooms, and everybody who has rented the house so far has described it as sparkling clean. And it was formerly owned by Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. I could see that. He owned it for about three years. He he has a plot in New Orleans. Yeah, it's a big pyramid. We got to see that. that. That's pretty cool, yeah. You got to see his, his grave before yeah, he was yeah, even there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like, that. It, it was a it's next to pyramid. Marie Laveau's yeah. grave. Oh, yeah. really? It's like yeah. around the corner. Ooh. Yeah, that's crazy. He does. Uh, have but she owned like several properties too. It's, it's like she did have the house, but like there are several hotels there that claim that this property was once owned by Marie Laveau because she like owned. She was rich and she owned houses and she put her family members up in other houses and. This, this is just where the help works <laughs> or where <Right>. they live, <laughs> you know? Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, New Orleans is a trip, man. That's got a lot of history there. A lot of yeah. oh, crazy, yeah. crazy, you know, that's what I told you guys about. You know, this all started from that conversation of 
me doing That's that, true, that yeah. uh, haunted tour there yeah. and, and seeing that house and being like just blown away by the, the story. I mean, it was something out of Hellraiser, in my opinion. Well, it's like you can feel it in the air. Speaking man. of which, now's a good time for me to give you this. This is going to be an assignment for you in the future if you want to read that book or oh this is just, her yeah no that's madame lollery she's a different person oh from she's pretty crazy i Ooh, thought there we was... should talk about marie laveau too i'll find a book on marie laveau uh madame lollery yeah she's the one who lived in that house right are we talking yeah. about the same house marie laveau no right was correct like no, i'm sorry the voodoo queen right right yeah. madame no, lollery she's the one who owned the house that you're yeah, talking about yeah who are you talking about? Marie the, Laveau, right? No, no, no. You were talking about the mansion. The mur- the, 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 the murder house? Ha- no. Are you talking about the, for the, from Coven? No, that's Marie Laveau's house, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I apologize. But she also has a mansion I'm in sorry. New Orleans. So completely ignore what I said. The Nicolas yeah. Cage thing, th- he owned this house. This house. Oh, so okay. I apologize. Yeah. I okay. thought you were talking about this oh, house. Okay, interesting. The slave house that, you know, that they were torturing slaves. Mm-hmm. So that's why, sorry, I apologize. So, I mean, no, but both are in the French Quarter. Like, oh, right next to each other. and That's true. Or not yeah. right next to each other. But, <laughs> and if you went on a tour out there, guaranteed you saw both houses. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did. I, again, this is 20 years ago, so... I don't quite remember all the mm-hmm. stops that we stopped at, but we went through the whole French Quarter, so I'm sure it popped up. Um, and and this this mansion was the one I was talking about that yeah from Hellraiser, like you know for for our stories fans, about this. yeah <sighs> crazy for our fans. I handed him a book on Madame Lollery, who is mm-hmm. Kathy Bates in uh, American Horror Story, mm-hmm. and uh, some crazy shit, you know, with her. Uh, but not all of it is true, so. Right. Yeah, um, but that, from what I've heard, is the most accurate book because there's actual like references in the book cool. to historical things. So cool. Um, have you read it yet? I have not. As I said, got, it looks like it's brand new. Yeah, I just got that, and nice. I was like, well, because you're always mentioning like reading books, you like reading books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm reading something right now about this uh, woman in World War II who was like this unbelievable hero, and nobody knows who. Well, the hell what she was is. her name? Um, her name is Virginia, I think it's Virginia Madsen, if I recall. Mm. She was a, a, a Baltimore socialite who, um, just kind of wanted more out of life than to get married and have kids like when mm-hmm. her mom wanted her to. And so she went over to France to study and she fell in love with the country right around the time that World War II started and the Nazis came in and just took over all of France. And she was like, this is completely wrong. I, I want to fight for this country. So she basically... And all the while, being a woman and a, and a um, uh, a cripple, she shot her uh, by accident. She had a hunting accident and shot mm-hmm. herself in the foot and almost died from it. She had amputated from her knee down. And uh, first of all, to be a woman trying to be in the army or to do military type stuff, they're like, no. And they're mm-hmm. like, plus you plus you have a wooden leg, absolutely not. And she ended up being like one of their, their top spies. She would basically set up shop in France and send back information from there. But you know, I mean, constantly like, please tell me she hid stuff in her leg. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did things in her shoe and stuff like that. Yeah, she had. I haven't gotten that far in the book, um, but yeah, there was a couple mentions of her having a secret compartment in there and stuff. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, like she, like everyone was just blown away by this woman's like perseverance and just attitude towards being a foreigner in another country and wanting to fight for the country more than people that lived there wanted to, you know. So and obviously That's back crazy. in something that I did, you know, that I books I've been reading around that time, learning is how much, how much. Like, you had to act a certain way because if anybody saw anything, 
they were they would denounce you in a second mm -hmm. and they would bust in your house and you were gone so it's like you just you couldn't you know and being a spy you have to act french you have to look french you have to remember mm -hmm. all these things that you don't do in your that you do in your country that you can't do somewhere else mm -hmm. so it's all these little things you know and it's very interesting to 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 read and to remember that fear that was there from everybody because it, everyone was just looking out for themselves i don't want to fucking die and i don't care if you you're going to die because i'll point you out if that's how it's going to be you know so it's it's pretty crazy it's intense you know, living like that, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's it, yeah, and especially because yeah, you you would hope it's just like the one villain, but then you're pinning people against each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's what always freaks me out the most. Is, well, if you, you want to like do her as a subject for the the podcast, like yeah, I mean, none I of mean, it's horror, but it's yeah. definitely real life horror. Well, you yeah. know, I mean, but it's... like I could tie it in with like Audrey Hepburn at the same time was kind of doing the same thing mm -hmm. you know and it's that's hollywood sure. you know like i'll make it work sure but yeah I, i'm interested i'm I, this book seems like it's gonna be pretty cool so i'm excited yep. i'm excited cool okay. i don't mind going next if yeah, you go. just want to go last i don't care um okay so i uh, i did the los feliz uh or los feliz uh murder house or murder mansion because you got murder house so the uh, Los Feliz murder mansion depending on where you're from it's either los feliz or los feliz yeah or murder house or a mansion. Now, many, I've many, heard many by somebody who speaks Spanish, it's Los Feliz because, like, Feliz Navidad, it's uh, Los Feliz. Yeah. So that's how I always remember it and try to say it that way so I don't sound so gringo-ish gringo uh, when I say it. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Um, I'm actually half uh, Hispanic, and I've always said Los Feliz. Yeah. But, like I said, my mom's from the valley. and There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's Spanish, and it means the fellas, so... There you go. The, the fellas. <laughs> I'm joking. Like, was like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the guys, the fellas. Yeah, you know? Los Feliz. It's the fellas. The fellas. I like that. I didn't, oh know, I didn't know you were so fluent. That's amazing. <laughs> we'll go to Mexico sometime. Of course. So, uh, the Los uh, Feliz Murder Mansion at 2475 Glendower Place. Glendower Place. Um, up, it's up by, uh, it's up by the... Uh, Observatory, oh, in that yeah. neighborhood okay. apparently. Nice. Uh, I've I've never I haven't I didn't go riding up there to see if I could find it, mm. um, but uh, they said it was up up you know by the uh, Griffith Observatory or did they say the, they might have said the um, uh, the Greek Theater, okay. all those oh, houses that neighborhood area, like yeah, kind yeah. of in that area. Beautiful area if any if anybody has not been there the park is just beautiful, uh, and there's a lot of really large houses that lead up to going into the entrance of Griffith Park itself. And so I'm guessing that that's kind of where this, this area is nestled in. Um, the year is 1959. And um, you have you have the, the Pearlson family. Uh, it's uh, Harold per, uh, Persa, uh, Pearl, sorry, per, Pearlson. It's P-E-R-E-L-S-O-N. Mm. Pearlson? Pearlson? Mm. <laughs> Dr. Harold Perelson. Um, <laughs> he is married to a woman named Lillian, and they have three kids, uh, Judy, Joel, and Debbie. And uh, Judy, interestingly enough, is spelled with a, an E at the end, J-U-D-Y-E. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I never heard that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so typical family, very well off. Um, he's a doctor. Uh, he's He's... A, a cardiologist, basically, what what mm -hmm. it would have been back then. Um, he's well known. He had some some of his uh, articles written in like 
Scientific America and things like that. So he he's he's a well established doctor. He's very well opinionated. He's making money. Obviously, he's living up in these in these rich hills, um, and so they're doing well. Uh, he actually even um, has a product for a syringe. Uh, it's gonna it basically uh, breaks or helps reduce infections and things like that. It's, it's something that uh, it was like something with glass vials and syringes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and a partner are working on it for over ten years. Over ten years, uh, and his partner basically steals the design and gets it copyrighted without him. And of course he's upset and he goes to court against him and uh, basically sinks a lot of money into battling him. And he, and he wins, but he only wins like 25 grand. And he's expecting like a hundred grand for this thing because he really put a lot of work into it and he got, he got ripped off. It doesn't go his way. And uh, because of that, uh, they kind of start to go into a financial crisis. Um, soon after uh, his daughter, it's a little murky who was driving, but it, apparently his daughter got into a car accident with, with the other kids. It wasn't necessarily her fault. Um, and it's funny because in one article it said it was on Vermont and Los Feliz, and then in another article it said they got into an accident in Vermont. So I thought that was <laughs> kind of funny. So I think that there was just kind of a miscommunication or whatever. Yeah, they read it wrong. So uh, for those that don't know, Los Feliz and Vermont are like right around their, their neighborhood. So it would make sense that it was on the street and not mm-hmm. the state. Mm-hmm. Um by the way, uh, I, I, when I was researching this, there was some some conflicting things going on, so I tried to go with the ones that w- were consistently on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a lot of my information from Curbed LA, from the Daily Mail, from the lineup, uh, LA Weekly, and uh, and a little bit of um, uh, what's it called uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> so, um, so the, uh, so Judy's getting apparently Judy's driving this car. She gets into a car accident. Um, and the kids are really hurt. Uh, he goes to sue them. He's again expecting this money, and he gets basically enough money to cover medical medical expenses. So again, more money troubles, and and now the kids are starting to notice that that the family is having these problems. Um, Judy, Judy writes a letter to his to her aunt, and uh, they quote one of the sections as saying as her saying, uh, "My family are on the merry-go-round again." Same problems, same worries, only tenfold. My parents, so to speak, are in a bind financially. So she's well aware of what's going on. She knows that her parents are freaking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the dad is falling into a deeper and deeper depression, and he, he starts to attempt suicide. They're very vague on this because the wife covered it up, and she's just telling people that he's basically experiencing coronaries. Um, these are coming from attempted suicides from using powerful drugs, but the side effects are that he's getting these, these coronaries. And so, mm-hmm. you know, aunts and uncles, family, friends, whatever, they're asking these questions and she's covering it up by just saying, oh, we, you know, this, that, the other thing. He's just having these medical problems. Apparently they're attempted suicides, um, but they don't really give a lot of details on that. Probably because she just kept it to the, you know, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he's having these problems um, and it's, it's, it's said that Lillian actually wanted to have uh, Harold committed to an institute for mentally insane or mentally challenged people, not challenged, mentally insane people. Uh, so obviously she sees that he's having difficulties with that. Um, so on the night of uh, December 6th in 1959, um, at about, uh, well, the day before, let's say the December 5th, um, the family has a normal day. The kids come back from school. Judy's got homework. She stays up late, falls asleep doing homework. Uh, mom and dad go to bed. Um, dad is reading uh, the Divine Comedy uh, by I think it's Dante. Is that that's correct? Dante's mm-hmm. Divine Comedy. 
Uh, but he falls asleep reading a passage, and when he wakes up at five in the morning, um, he he kind of jolts awake and uh, goes downstairs um, to the uh, garage. I think it is. They don't really say, but he says he had he headed downstairs, and he um, grabs a ball peen hammer. You guys know what a ball peen mm-hmm. hammer is? Mm-hmm. So it's got that round ball on the end of it, and it's like a small little, right? So grabs a ball peen hammer and comes back upstairs and uh, stands over his wife while she's sleeping and gives her a whack in the head with the hammer. Jesus. Now, most of the stories go is that he hit her once really, really hard. Um, the doctor said that it left an actual one-inch hole inside her skull. Jesus Christ. Um Another report said he kind of went crazy and was whacking her a bunch of times and, you know, blood flew everywhere. Regardless, the, the hammer blow does not kill her. Um, she actually died from asphyxiation from choking on her own blood. So that was pretty Jesus horrible. Christ. Yeah. But um, he he made noise. She made noise. Whatever happened. She, would, she didn't scream or anything like that. But apparently it was enough um, to kind of wake up uh, Judy. And he actually goes into her room and attempts to kill her as well. So he goes into her room and, again, same thing, stories conflicting, but basically it was he either couldn't see her or didn't hit her as hard or she woke up and saw him and put her arm up. But whatever she did, he hits her with the hammer as well, but not enough to, 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 hurt, to knock her out to kill her. Mm-hmm. And so she, she screams and, you know, don't, don't kill me, screams out, awaking the other two children. Okay, so now the other two, as as he wha- <laughs> this is creepy. As he whacks her in the head when she wakes up and screams, he says, he says to her, "Lay still, keep quiet." Jesus. Now, again, the, the the other kids come in, so they're a little vague on this, but I think the dad leaves the room to go deal with the other two kids who've now come in the room, and he was reported as saying to the kids, "Go back to bed. This is a nightmare. <laughs> You're having a nightmare." <laughs> So oh, as she Jesus, does this, dark. yeah, right. Holy so fuck. tells tells the little ones go back to sleep. You know, he says go back to bed, baby. This is a nightmare. Uh, he, the daughter Judy, escapes, runs out down the stairs outside to the neighbor and starts screaming and banging on the on the door. The neighbors come out and they uh, they find her. So she she's saved, um, and she lives. The dad uh, Harold goes um, back upstairs and goes into the bathroom and uh, mixes himself a little cocktail of um, Nembutal, which is a barbiturate, and 31 tranquilizers, uh, and then um, lays down and basically overdoses. Now, there was a couple of stories. One said that he got back into the bed and laid down next to his wife. There was others that said that he was found on the floor in front of the bed. Um, but either way, he was found holding onto the hammer. So he was, he, he still held onto the hammer when he did this. Also, when they, when they said that he took all these pills, that, um, a lot of reports said that he drank a glass of acid. And the, one of the major authors of this basically said he did, he couldn't find anything in the news reports that substantiated that. That was kind of like a rumor that popped mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Either way, he overdosed. And by the time the cops got there, he was almost dead. And then when the paramedics came, he was gone. So murder, suicide. Um, with the attempted murder of his eldest daughter, who uh, was 18. Uh, basically, um, oh, and when they when they go into his bedroom, they find the book, uh, the Divine Comedy, open, um, and there was a quote that was underlined that he had apparently read, you know, either before he went to bed or whatever. But it was, 
uh, midway upon the journey of our life, I find myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway has been lost. Pretty dark, pretty ominous. Mm. Um, and uh, they definitely picked up on that when, when they found his bedroom in the crime scene and stuff. Um, the kids are basically taken up and given to their aunt, and they pretty much disappear from from existence after that. They, they think yeah. that people change, that they change the kids' names and this, that, the other. But basically, there's nothing after this happens that the kids are talked about. Um, so... The house goes up for sale, and uh, house goes up for sale a couple years later, and it's and it's actually bought um, by Emily and uh, Julian Enriquez. And this is where it gets weird. They buy the house, and then they don't do anything with it. They just had this house, and it's this is like 1960, mm-hmm. and they store stuff in it put things in it but nobody ever lives there and this goes on for like 30 years and then in the ni- the mid 90s they both die and their son Rudy Enriquez takes ownership and now he owns the house and he's not doing anything with it hmm. so for the last 40-50 years this house has been sitting here almost like a time capsule just frozen in time of when this murder happened and then just left to be so all these you know go-seers and looky-loos and people that are interested in the story are always coming up to the windows and when they look inside they're seeing all this like you know furniture that's from the 60s and there's dolls left and it's like Mm -hmm. super creepy like it just Mm. like they just disappeared and never came back to get any of their stuff you know um so apparently there was um the big the big uh urban legend is that there was a christmas tree put up and they even had the wrapped presents still and they were there for like 30 years just sitting there so, you know, there's a lot of contradictions here saying that the family was Jewish and that there's, you know, why would they have a Christmas tree? Mm-hmm. But they did want, you know, mm-hmm. so there's all these yeah. back and forth things. But uh, they were they were saying that the more they delved into it, you know, they found like, found a can of SpaghettiOs. And they're like, oh, creepy. But SpaghettiOs came out seven years after the deaths happened. Yeah. You know, they found time life from the late city. So it seems that a lot of the stuff that was in there was from the Enriquez family mm-hmm. as opposed to from the other family that was, you know, that just kind of up and left. But it's still creepy that it was just everything is falling apart and nobody's doing anything about it. And it's it's this mansion, you know, in essence, that's just kind of left to be there. So, yeah, basically up until like 2016 is when Rudy dies. um, They 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 put the house up and it sells to a to a true TV, the, the cable channel, true TV. A, a personality whose name is uh, Lisa Bloom and her husband Braden Pollock. Um, so they buy the house and they tear it down and, or you know, renovate, gut it, and everything, mm-hmm. and then they put it back on the market um, in 2019. Hmm. So when it was when it was being, you know, from the 50 years that nobody was using it, you know, the neighbors are like trying to keep it looking at least somewhat nice, like you know, just doing menial yard work and crap like that, just so it doesn't look terrible in their in their. <laughs> mansion filled neighborhood you know um but they said that they would see like squatters sightseers hookers you know people that curious that just curious to come inside and look around so it was very interesting to see how it kind of was like the haunted house but unintentionally made that way Mm -hmm. you know they just were like 
they just had, I don't know why you would buy a house and then not do anything with it. That's very odd to me, but they weren't scared of it. They, he, They're Rudy's, hiding their money. That's yeah, maybe. Doing. Maybe. Yeah. Rudy said that he never felt that the house is haunted. He never saw anything in there. You mm-hmm. know, he was like, I'd go feed my cats that were staying there sometimes, but it was like, there wasn't any really major things out there. That doesn't mean that people haven't had ghost stories coming out of there. Um, and that would be um, people hearing screams or moans early in the, early in the morning. Because this, this all took place around 5 o'clock in the morning when the murders mm-hmm. happened. So, they you know, people have heard screams, moans. Um, they've heard somebody screaming no really, really loud early in the morning. Um, floating orbs in the windows when people take pictures and stuff. And then um, a, a lot of ghost hunters have said that they've seen a woman standing in a window um, just staring at them for like, you know, two minutes and then she just kind of vanishes. Uh, but... It would make sense that people are trying to, or at least thinking these things because of this house and the history it has, and then just kind of seeing everything inside through the windows when you can go up and look inside and everything just looks like it did in 1960, you know? Uh, so, very interesting. Um, kind of a routine murder, if you will. It, it almost like, I feel that had the house <clears throat> been sold and renovated and just gone back to being a normal house, the story wouldn't have lingered as long as it did. You know, obviously it's a very brutal murder, but I mean, really, in essence, it's just a murder-suicide. Um, but it's the creepy house at the end of the block. Yeah, and it's in a rich you know? neighborhood. You know, again, like, like, I still cannot wrap my head around why somebody would buy, a, a, a you know, a $2 million house and then be like, great, I can store all my shitty chairs in here, you know? Mm-hmm. like. Well, it's, uh, I don't know, like, working in, like, the spa industry and stuff, like, doing, going to, like, all those rich houses, I would mm-hmm. say, like, over half of them were empty most of the time, you know? Yeah. And then a quarter of them were summer houses that were maybe used during the summer, you know? Sure. Or just, yeah, or like she was saying, you know, an investment on property that they're just waiting to sell yeah. later on, you Sure. Know? Yeah, maybe. It uh, depends on what the tax break on the house is. Because you buy a house, and if the taxes are lower than what you would get taxed from the bank, mm-hmm. then that's how you're going to hide your millions. Sure. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe. Uh, who knows? Uh, they didn't give any kind of explanation as to what the family did, or mm-hmm. you know, if they had, if they were you know, just ballers and had money, or if they were just like, again, they had plans to do something with it and never mm-hmm. got around to it. I mean, they had the house for almost 50 years. Yeah. It's a long time to own property and not do anything with it. Yeah. You know? right. And again, especially in such an affluent neighborhood and... And, and, and such a, a, a nice house. Uh, they had to, they're like, you know, it's a real shame you have to demolish the whole house because it's so dilapidated and so just unkept. It's, you got to start all over again. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So, but yeah, so I think, I think definitely them not doing anything with the house and just leaving it as is kind of perpetuated the story and made it a little bit more creepy than what it initially started out as. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's, that's messed up. You know, you try to kill your own kid you know kill your wife sure but then going mm-hmm. and kill your kids that's always that that next level step up jesus you're fucked yeah. plus like so. the things he supposedly said is like Ugh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah creepy that's, super creepy really it reminded me of this other story where this mom and daughter they killed their father uh oh god did we do this on a podcast where like mm. the the telling evidence was that there was like there's like blood on her pillow so it wouldn't have happened when she was laying in the bed mm. with him. I don't remember that. Uh, but know. he's like still alive when... Anyways, I'll find out what story that is and right. I'll tell yeah. you about it like, next uh, time. Uh, yeah. 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 
Well, as long as they sold the house afterwards, that's all that matters. That's all, yep. that matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, so, yeah, um, so the uh, Los Feliz Murder House, Murder Mansion. Crazy. Cool. Yeah. We'll go. have to see if that's on Airbnb one day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the house has been completely renovated. I, I know it's been completely renovated. I don't know if they raised the whole house, though, or if they just gutted it and then started over again. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just really the clear. The bones are either. still there. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of the actual original house still stands hmm. um and again the kids just basically disappeared they 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 were gone well from... obviously like they're gonna want to not be associated absolutely and yeah absolutely so that makes sense yep that's some crazy stuff your dad tries to kill you that's that's pretty high level stuff right there mm-hmm. freaking hammer man mm-hmm. that's just uh man <laughs> your dad tells you to sh- lay still while yeah. i destroy while I you with this you hammer in the face with it Oh, oh my god. Yeah. Rough oh, stuff. Man. But he did the right thing and took his own life. And uh luckily, but he didn't do that first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The daughter recovered, no problem. She was okay. Um no lasting effects is what I should say. At least physical effects. Obviously mm-hmm. there's mental effects still left there, but um but yeah, so crazy. Cool. And what's your lovely story? My story <laughs> is the Reseda House of Evil. Oh, house of Evil. House of Evil. All right. So it's not a murder house. Okay. Uh, or, a ma- or a mansion. Or a mansion by any means. It is not a mansion. It is not a murder house because nobody was murdered in the house. All right. Um, but we'll get into that in just a second here. So I got to flatten <laughs> out my notes here. Uh, my note taker, Susie. Um, was laying, she fell asleep on her notes earlier, so I gotta flatten this paper out here. Um, At least you credited her. Yeah, no, she got me a good quote uh, here that I'm gonna read later on. Okay. Meow, 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 meow. meow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. For I all taught ca- her out of cats that listen. <laughs> meow, meow, tuna. <laughs> her picture will be up on Instagram, so you'll know who I'm talking about, but she's on the research team. Um, And we spent all day researching this story. So, okay, so I first heard of this story from another podcast. And sorry, I'm going to mention them. I'm going to give them their due credit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry. Uh, The other podcast that I had heard this from is called Ghost Town. Uh, And the hosts of Ghost Town are Jason Horton and Rebecca Lieb. Um. And also, I watched James Horton's YouTube channel where he talks about uh, the Reseda House of Evil. I got some of my information from Wikipedia, uh, from the actual episode on ghost adventures that they did on this uh, house. And I got some of my information on Zillow uh, because this house is still listed on Zillow. So if you want to see what it looks like on Zillow. How much is it? This is the house. Um, it's not currently. Oh, sorry, this is the house right here. It's not currently listed. Looks like a cabin. Uh, but it was listed last. It does look like a cabin. It was listed last year for five hundred and eighty thousand dollars. That's not that bad. It's That's a, a steal for an evil house. Yeah, it's a uh, five bedroom, three bath, two hundred and twenty five square foot, built in nineteen. What is it? Nineteen forty-seven. Nineteen six-six-six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it does mention on the Zillow that it is haunted and was featured on Ghost Adventures. Oh, now it's, so it's so, a selling point. We'll get to the, we'll get to the house uh, 
in a second. So uh, the house is located in a town called Reseda. Uh, Reseda uh, was originally inhabited by the Native Americans of the Tongva tribe uh, who lived close to uh, what is now the Los Angeles River. Um, in 1909, the Suburban Homes Company, led by a Mr. H.J. Whitley, uh, along with Harry Chandler and a few other guys, uh, purchased um, 48,000 acres of farming and, uh, sorry, 48 acres of the Farming and Milling Company for, uh, Jesus Christ, I can't even, I don't, I don't even know how to say that number. Mm, 2.5 2, 2. million. 2.5 million. I'm like 2,000, 100. <laughs> million thousand lightning. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so they wanted to extend the Pacific Electric Railway, uh, who, like, their friend owned it, uh, and run uh, the railway cars through the valley and what is now Canoga Park. Uh, they, the suburban home company laid out the plans for roads in the towns of Van Nuys, Reseda, which was originally called Marion at the time, but they changed the name to Reseda later on. I'll tell you guys in a second here what Reseda means. Uh, the rural area, the rural areas were annexed into the city of Los Angeles in 1915. And on April 2nd, 1915, H.J. Whitley purchased the whole suburban home company so that he would have complete control over finishing the development. You guys talked about H.J. Whitley, right? Mm -hmm. Early on. Okay. Yeah, I think that was uh, episode one. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I wasn't there. So. <laughs> no girls allowed. <laughs> this was, you know, yeah, this was before uh, women were allowed into the podcast, <laughs> I guess. Um, oh, those were the good old days. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Anyways, anyways, men and women were men or something like that. Anyways, Hobart Johnstone Whitley. Uh, what was his middle name? Johnstone. Oh, I think he said Hobart. Hobart is his first name. Oh, get out. H.J. Whitley, Hobart, Hobart Johnstone oh, Whitley. Yeah, uh, he's born October 7th, 1847. Uh, he was a Canadian-American real estate developer, uh, best known for helping create the Hollywood subdivision uh, in Los Angeles, learning him, earning him the nickname the Father of Hollywood. Um, it's also, the story goes that um, his wife, Margaret Virginia Whitley, is the one who named uh, the town Hollywood mm -hmm. while they were visiting here on their honeymoon. I'm sure you guys talked about that story. Um, he also uh, was the founder of the Hollywood Hotel. Uh, he built the hotel and a bank on Hollywood and Highland. I'm thinking the bank is where Ripley's Believe It or Not is, or it's that random... Yeah, the, the bank that's been abandoned for 40 years. Yeah, or, or it's that <laughs> other building, yeah, across the street. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's... that is a bank. It's... First National Bank or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, but I also a, know yeah. the Ripley's Believe It or Not building was a bank at oh, the same used time. Used that's, to be a bank, yeah. That's why it has those pillars and then it has like the eagle at the top. Oh, if okay. you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that looks like a bank. And but the Max Factor building is behind that, right? Max Factor. Oh, I want to talk about Max Factor on another episode. So it'll be cool. Anyways. Sweet. Yeah, that guy, makeup. 
which you know I love. Makeup. Um, <laughs> I'll yeah. I want to do a whole episode on makeup. You know, just because. Because I get to yeah, makeup is scary. Sometimes it kills people. You know. Um, but because I can make you guys talk about whatever I want, and I love makeup. So, um, mm-hmm. H.J. Whitley also. Uh, uh, inspired the building of the Hollywood sign. Uh, he was the one who suggested to his friend that why don't you use a sign to advertise your housing development? Because it's something he had done with his development of Whitley Heights, which is right over on the other side. Um, he also um, was involved in the filming of the first ever motion picture that was filmed in L.A., Uh, which was filmed on his property. So, okay, so a lot of people came to L.A. to make movies because Thomas Edison is a terrible human being. Uh, (laughs) He had a whole monopoly over the motion picture camera, uh, and so he made people pay money to him because he had a patent on the motion picture camera, which he stole from a French guy. We should totally talk about how horrible he is later on and how he electrocutes elephants. But, (laughs) Topsy! Um, Anyways, so people like uh, Carl Lemley with Universal Studios, I talked a little bit about him on the Airplanes episode with Frank Stites, uh, came to California because they wanted to get as far away from New York as possible, and they were like, hey, sue me now, I'm way over here. Mm -hmm. You know, climate was great, there's a lot of land to film and develop, so H.J. Whitley saw that this was like a thing that was about to happen. And so uh, he uh, filmed the first ever motion picture was actually filmed on his property at his ranch. Um, and uh, the reason they were able to do that was because a friend of his had made a motion picture camera of his own that uh, Thomas Edison didn't have a patent on. So mm. he's like hey, yeah, this is a different type of camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go just film at my property, and we're going to make some movies. And then Whitley did a bunch of other stuff that was really great, and, you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Who cares about this rich guy who basically, like, Whitley and Wilcox, and we talk about how great they are, but they took land from the indigenous people here. Oh, sure. And... Uh, the motion picture uh, is cool and it's great how we were, you know, the epicenter and the, you know, the beginning of it all, but it's also on the blood of the indigenous people who mm-hmm. whose land we took away. Um, That's true, but I mean, in all, it's, I guess the Hollywood wasn't a thing when H.J. Willie first created you know, Hollywood wasn't a cinematic thing, you know. It was, you know, it was a city. They, the, there was the intention, I guess, wasn't creating art and films. It was just creating a city at that. Point, yeah. You know? Well, and the motion picture wasn't like, oh, let's create art. It's like, oh, let's make a business off of it. Let's make money. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, use this new invention. Uh, I mean, that's at least what Carl Lemley was looking at it as you know Mm -hmm. uh even though the artistic part was part of it um and everything but no 100 percent whitley came in and was like oh nobody owns these orange groves except for those people well we're just gonna like muscle them out and they're mine now um 
Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure he was a nice guy in person. Um, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you don't have to stick up for him. It's okay. Yeah, no, it's cool. cool. It's cool. Um, but anyways, uh, so, Reseda, uh, the land was originally part of the San Fernando Mission. Uh, Reseda originated in 1912 as the town of Marion. It was uh, named uh, after Marion Otis Chandler, the daughter of uh, the Los Angeles Times publisher. Uh, then later it was named Reseda, uh, which refers to a fragrant plant, Reseda odorata. Mm. Uh, the English name is mignonette, uh, which was commonly found in gardens of the time and is native to many areas with a Mediterranean climate. You said it's a flower or a plant? It's a plant, fragrant plant. Mm. Um, anyway, so... The Central Business District begins in 1915 at what is now the intersection of Reseda Boulevard and Sherman Way uh, with the construction of a hardware store, soon a blacksmith shop, auto repair garage were built nearby, followed by a grocery store on into the early 1920s. Reseda grows very uh, slowly. uh, but with the stock market crash in 1929 and sub- subsequent Great Depression uh, further further slowing the expansion. So that kind of slowed it down. Uh, Reseda remained uh, primarily an agricultural community, mostly orange groves, as we know, out here uh, until uh, the 1940s. Uh, when the population increased from 1,805 people to 4,147 residents. Um, so, yeah, it basically from that point on was basically a suburb. Uh, and that kind of brings us to where the house is built. The house is built in 1947 as one of these first suburban houses. Um, later, though which you mentioned, in 1994, there's the North uh, Northridge earthquake, uh, which struck like right in Reseda, was where uh, yeah, yeah, the most of it is. Yeah, the epicenter. Reseda yeah, is like the same area. Earthquake struck at 4.31 a.m. on January 17th of 1994, measured 6.7 on the momentum magnitude scale. It remains the only large earthquake to originate directly under a major U.S. city in modern times, as well as the most damaging earthquake to strike the U.S. since the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. So, yes, okay. So that brings us basically to our episode. So, like I said, I learned about this uh on Ghost Town, where they talked about this episode of Ghost Adventures, where they go and they actually visit the Reseda House of Evil. So if you guys don't know what Ghost Adventures is, um, I actually hadn't really watched a lot of Ghost Adventures. I was aware of it, but I didn't actually watch a full episode until doing research for this. Today, I've probably watched like four or five episodes, honestly. So, um, it's pretty cool. It's like your typical, uh, paranormal investigation show. This guy, uh, Zach Bagans, 
or I was pronouncing it Baggins, but he, he pronounces Baggins. it Baggins. 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 Um, even though he's from Washington, D.C. I was like, this guy must be Canadian, but he's not. He's he's full on from D.C. Uh, him and some of his friends, they go and uh, they bring, you know, paranormal investigating equipment. They go and they interview people who live in these houses or find out as much information as possible. Uh, and... Uh, then they go and they do a nightly investigation, which is usually pretty chaotic, you know. Um, mostly because I feel like they're they're very, like, they believe this a lot. So anything, they're on it. They're like, oh, it's cold. Oh, this, you know, this is something happening, mm -hmm. you know. Whereas I'm pretty skeptical, so I'm most of the time when I'm in a situation of like a haunted place, I'm like, oh, that's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. You know, like... You try, Fred to, you try to rule things out yeah. before you jump the gun, yeah. Freddy Krueger is going to be like right up next to me and I'm going to be like, oh, this is not a big deal, you know? <laughs> uh, but I'm also not sensitive. I'm not sensitive to spirits and these, the people he has on his show definitely are. Um, anyways, Zachary Baggins... He is born April 5th, 1977, is an American paranormal investigator, actor, television personality, museum operator, and author. Uh, he is the principal host of the Travel Channel series Ghost Adventures, uh, which features his friends, uh, Nick Roth and Aaron Goodman. They produce a documentary-style film, uh, which was on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2007. Different versions of the show have come out since then. Uh, Ghost Adventures, Aftershock. Um, uh, Ghost Adventures. Oh, prior to Ghost Adventures. Uh, sorry. Anyways. Uh, but in one thing that's pretty cool. In uh, April 2nd, 2016, uh, he premiered a show called Deadly Possessions, which where is where he goes around... Uh, and collects these haunted artifacts, and that is what is the basis of his museum in Las Vegas, which is, if Zach, if you're listening right now, that is my dream job. So, um... Call me. Please do. <laughs> please do. I'm on... You I'm just on. play this episode backwards, and you should get her phone number. You'll he get my phone number, yeah. 818. 818, call me. <laughs> Please. Or is it 976 evil? <laughs> Please do. Um, anyways, so before I get too far into the episode, um, I'm going to read the quote that Susie found for me from Zach Baggins. Uh, today we watched uh, another uh, documentary that he had produced. It was called The Demon House. I don't know if you know the story about the house that he had purchased, but it was so haunted he ended up deciding oh, right. to completely like destroyed it, demolish right? yeah. the house. So this is a quote from Demon House uh, from Zach Baggins. Baggins. Um, I believe that certain environments can make demonic activity... Uh, sorry. I believe that certain environments can make demonic activity more likely... Poverty, high crime rates, murder can all contribute. And that's kind of like the key thing here with this house of evil is, is it the demons causing the bad things to happen or are the bad things happening feeding these demons? 
But there's mm-hmm. definitely, like, even me as, like, a skeptic, I was uncomfortable with this house. I would not go in this house. I, mm-mm. Like, <laughs> there's bad energy there, and it could be supernatural, but it's definitely real. Um, so, okay. So, like I said, the house is built in 1947. So, on the episode... As Zach and his friends, um, which I believe are Aaron and Billy in the episode, uh, they are driving up to the house. And as they're on the way driving to the house, uh, he tells his crew that many people have committed suicide in the house, including the owner, the previous owner. So they're first introduced to Devin Klein, uh, who is the current owner of the house. And he got... uh, the house from the previous owner, John Dominic. The first thing he says to the crew is someone, someone has died in every room of the house. So just pick a room. Mm -hmm. Uh, so all of the, the people who've died in the house were all due to drug overdoses and suicides, all connected to the former owner, John Dominic. There are six in total. People who've died in this house. He's got two first names. Like, nah, he's not trusted. Can't trust him. (laughs) And Devin Klein alludes that the house feeds on drugs and the drug use, which is like, that's like, if you've ever been in a drug house or a seedy house, like, it's fucking bad. The vibe is fucking like that, yeah. But not in the sense of bad that this place is. This place is like bad on top of like bad <laughs> like well, i mean it's i've had a past you're saying is like yeah the walls are bleeding but the walls are also taking drugs yeah <laughs> like i've had a past like i've been i've been in houses oh, where people are doing drugs but it's like a fun environment it's like a oh we're doing drugs and right. i'm like uncomfortable but it's like everyone here is in a good mood this is like depress if depression was a building it's this place you know, which, huh, it, like I said, it made me uncomfortable. Um, so John Dominic, who's the previous owner, uh, according to Devin Klein, was the biggest drug dealer in Los Angeles. He didn't do drugs personally. He sold his medications that he received because he was a quadriplegic. Devin Klein was there when he killed himself uh, as well. So the, the owner was there when he killed himself? The current owner was there when the previous owner... Killed himself. Yeah, he put him to bed that night because they had to help him do almost everything. I was going to say, he's a quadriplegic. I wonder how he killed himself. Um, He overdosed, they said, which he didn't normally do drugs. But they alluded to the fact that he had taken something and... Usually you can't even do that. That's why that's odd if you're quadriplegic. You can't do anything. Yeah, it's... um, they said that they like put him to bed and then when they said goodnight to him they knew that he had already done something to take his life it was very vague a lot of it was maybe it was the house maybe it's the house who knows yeah so okay so this is where okay so things get a little weird from this point on so then they're introduced to maurice maurice edwards who's another tenant in the house and he states that he's seen an apparition in the house a woman with long dark hair um, back to Devin Klein because it is it's cutting back and forth between you know the multiple interviews in in this house. Uh, 
He says there have been possessions in the house as well. His partner, who happens to be paranoid schizophrenic, uh, has, you know, been possessed. So he claims that his friend, uh, who has a brother who's also paranoid schizophrenic, came to meet his partner, Malay. Uh, and she was like, hey, does Malay, you know, change sometimes? And Devin's like, yeah, he cha- he changes. Like, that's his paranoid schizophrenic. Like, one minute he'll be fine. The next minute he's running down the street in his underwear. And she's like, no, does he, like, change? Like, his face change, his body change? And Devin's kind of like, oh, you saw that too? And she's like, my brother is paranoid schizophrenic. This guy is possessed. You know? So, take that as you will. Anyway, so they end up interviewing Malay. Uh, He's there and he lives in the house. And uh, he says that the energies in the house told him that it was a dangerous place. And that's why he frequently will just run out of the house. Um, And that the energy uh, consumes him every single day. But the rent's cheap, so I stick around. I mean, but it's like... it's a drug house, though. Like, there's a lot of sad reasons that are keeping you there, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, anyways, uh, Devin Klein says that the ghost try to have sex with him at night, but alludes to the fact that it's consensual. So, <laughs> that's another thing that they talk about. It's my favorite scene um, in Ghostbusters. Yeah. He, he basically says, like, those spirits aren't the ones that are the evil spirits. We're cool with those ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But oh, like, the blowjob ghosts? We like, like them. <laughs> like, I guess when you call the Ghostbusters, you'd have to be specific yeah. about it. You know, like, like when you call pest control, like, we don't, these cockroaches are cool. <laughs> um, so on the episode, obviously, they uh, interview a few outside sources as well. They don't just talk to the people at this house. One of the people uh, that they do talk to is um, psychic to the stars, or medium to the stars, Patty Negri, um, which I think is kind of cool because Patty Negri is actually a friend of my friend. Um, hmm. uh, my friend, Richard Lale Lillard, who has his own YouTube channel about Satanism and antiques and amazingness, and he's also a psychic, uh, often tours with Patty Negri. Um, and I know that he had an episode of Ghost Adventures filmed at his house, which I need to check out. Maybe I'll talk about in a future episode. But anyways, they Patty Negri has been consulted by these people that live in the house numerous times. And it was actually her that had told Zach Baggins, like, you should come and check this house out for your show. So Patty Negri, uh, I have a little quote from her. She says, I think the drugs and the suicides fueled everything. I believe that there is some kind of vortex here. I have never felt anything like it. It takes days for me to recover after being here. Uh, Reseda, House of Evil. Well, it is indeed a house of evil that has some very nice guys living in it, but troubled. I actually am the one who sent Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures crew to the house because I had been working with the guys for a couple years, just trying to make it livable for them. It was the first place that I ever went that I couldn't keep clean. Um, she also says that this is like one of the 
most evil houses that she's ever been to. Uh, at the point where they're interviewing Patty Negri, uh, Billy in the group runs into the house. Uh, they find, because he probably heard something in his headset on a microphone that Devin is wearing, and Devin is like collapsed on the floor praying. Uh, and he says he had felt the spirit pass through him. Um, she alludes to the fact that there's a tree with a life of its own in the backyard. Uh, and that after filming Ghost Adventures, there was another person who ended up dying in the house. A daughter of a celebrity that overdosed of drugs, but they don't say who it is. Mm. Uh, she says uh, the house ended up being stolen from the owners. Uh, but doesn't really, it's very vague. To me, that's like, oh, this is some drug thing going on, mm -hmm. you know, some mm -hmm. situation. And they're currently in a lawsuit to get the house back. I don't know why they want it back. Because um, it's property in Rosita? Yeah. And, I mean, um, they probably have no other place to go. Because of the sex ghosts? Because the sex ghosts, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, did we forget about that? Yeah. <laughs> they have access to the uh, one and only sex, sex so, brothel <laughs> for ghosts. Yeah. So, while they're interviewing uh, Patty Negri, Billy runs into the house having heard something on his headset. Probably the microphone that Devin is wearing on his lapel because he they find... Devin Klein, the guy who's been interviewed this whole time, collapsed on the floor or like curled up and sitting on a seat, uh, praying, saying that he feels a spirit passing through him. So later on, or the next day, Zach Baggins goes to interview a historian about Reseda to get some insight. While he's doing that, Billy and Aaron go back to the house to take readings with a geomagnetometer. Uh, to see if there's any energy coming from the house. So they're just basically testing out uh, the energy fields of the house. A normal reading would be between 30 and 50 for a regular energy uh, reading. But when they're taking the readings, it's anywhere from 0, 1, 2 in one spot all the way up to 62, then 90, then 110. So there's some sort of energy anomalies that they've actually, you know, found on the property. So Zach Baggins goes to interview uh, Dr. Fate, which I think is a cool, no, cool yeah. name. It's spelled F-E-C-T. Fate. Fate. F-E-C-T? Yeah. Dr. Gerald Fate. Uh, Fate. Okay. Oh, right. uh, uh, but yeah. Zach ba Baggins pronounces it Fate. Um, which I think is cool. I'm from Washington, uh, D.C. It's also because I Who's writing a book about the ghost of Reseda, Dr. Fate as Gerald Fate. Uh, he said uh, there are actually a lot of Native American burial grounds in Reseda. Uh, this area where the house is was a part of a big village. They were called the Fernan Fernandinos. Uh, they were from the San Fernando Mission uh, and were related to the Tonga people, people I had just said in the beginning. Uh, they had a great respect for the dead. However, the mission uh, was brutal to the natives and would whip the evil out of them. Sure. So the missions in California kind of came in to bring Catholicism to 
what they saw as the savage people or the indigenous people. And it was borderline slavery. It was, you know, very brutal. Suppression. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a part, it's a form of genocide is really what it is by taking away these people's culture and putting their own culture onto these people. So Dr. Fate says, in reference to the house, because Zach asks him, well, what do you think of, you know, them doing drugs and the suicides in the house? Like, do you think that's feeding this evil? And he says, I think that the deeds that people do can unleash a phenomenal power. Which I totally agree with. I feel like bad energy is contagious and this is a nasty cycle that this house is in. Um, Dr. Fate also mentions that it was the epicenter for the 1994 earthquake. He says when you have a natural natural phenomenon like the earthquake and then you add into that uh, the burial of the dead or mystical beliefs on the part of the people who live there, that's a very powerful thing. I believe that we are far more connected with the spiritual world than we would like to think about. So that night, the crew investigate the house. They go in with their uh, spirit box, EVP meters, and their cameras. And they get what you would expect from a paranormal investigation. Uh, They get weird light anomalies and uh, they feel dizzy, they have panic attacks, they get agitated. But I would honestly have a panic attack in this house, like, Mm. (laughs) you know? Like, it's like, whether it's demons or not, there is like bad energy in that house. You're getting this all from a TV show, huh? Yeah, Mm. I mean, just, just from the fact that there's probably drugs out on, like, in the, ugh, ick. I would have a panic attack being in that house, just alone, without demons helping me out, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So they see this black shadow a few times as well, um, as well as the cold spots. And then they hear a female voice, which the Marion, or I can't remember who said it, said that they had seen, uh, who had said it? The tenant said, yeah, you'd see an apparition of a woman with Maurice long Edwards brown hair or with long black hair. So they see her, you know, and they hear her uh, on their spirit box. They uh, hear a woman's voice come through that says, "Thank you, be careful," and he's here. Then they think that he is John, uh, and they ask the spirit voice a little later on. They ask, "Did somebody kill you, John?" And very clearly, out of the spirit box comes. No, because he killed himself. Um, So that's where the episode kind of ends, right there. Um, I have a lot of opinions about this. Um, I I can't say, I can't speak for other people's uh, experiences. Um, I wasn't there with Zach Baggins and his crew. I don't live in the house. So I can't say that it's like a demon or a ghost, you know, or... You know, like, I'm sure when you experience something paranormal, it's, like, very different than any other experience that you'd have. Like, it's not just like, oh, this is a drafty corner. Like, a cold spot is probably chilling to the bone, you know? So I can't speak for someone else's uh, 
experience per se, but I can tell you that the house, just watching the episode and the people living there and the situation was very dark and uncomfortable. Uh, and places where people are, you know, dying, where there's been death and like drug addiction, it's just, it's bad energy all around. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a demon, well, it is a demon. It is a different, it's a different type of demon, you know. Whether there are also supernatural demons here, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I, I definitely agree that the house is evil. And that's, yeah. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. What is, so what was your correlation with the earthquake in the house itself? You're saying that all oh, this stuff happened after uh, the earthquake? So, they allude to the fact that the earthquake might have opened up a vortex in the... Sorry, Susie, Susie's double checking my notes here to make sure I included everything else. I got it, Susie, okay? It's good. I read the part that you wrote. <laughs> uh, they allude to the fact that the earth opened up and maybe released some sort of negative energy okay. as well. Which... So apparently none of these deaths happened before, before the earthquake. All the deaths have happened between 1994 and 2020. Pretty, they, they kind of, uh, kind of imply that it was fairly recent. Okay. Uh, within the past, like, decade that most of these deaths have happened. Hmm. Or while the previous owner had lived there. Because he does say that they're all attached to this previous owner. So this owner. is a pretty recent urban legend that's come up. The, mm, the House mm -hmm. of Evil has only been a, 10 years in the making, in, in a way. Or 15, 20 years in the making. I mean, as far as what they're talking about, right. about the deaths that they're referring Was to. Was there anything else attached to it besides, hey, this is a drug house and a lot of people have died here, so there's a lot of bad energy in the place? Is it basically, is that kind of in a nutshell where you're getting? Or is there like, oh, but they've also seen, there's other things that are... Well, the few paranormal experiences that the, mm -hmm. the people living there had experienced, you know, like mm -hmm. the sex demons or... But whether that's drug related or not, right, you know, I mean, or the fact sure. that one of them is schizophrenic, like who knows, right? you know, or is the demon, you know, like playing with someone who is schizophrenic and, right. you know, playing with these people who are weak and vulnerable and yeah. So, but yeah, uh, they, they allude to the fact that the, the 1994 earthquake may have opened up a rift of energy throughout mm. the house, which when they do the geomagnometer readings, there's definitely some energy anomaly mm. there in the house. Maybe from the earthquake, not necessarily from something paranormal, but uh, but energy like that yeah. can also affect a person's psyche. Sure. So is it a you know, something that is a national phenomenon that's happening, mm -hmm. that's causing these people to, you know, react negatively to it, which ends up fueling more into this addiction that they're already in, you know, on top right. of this drug dealer who is taking advantage of his tenants and his friends that are coming here. Like, I think it's all connected, you know, yeah. and it's, I mean, whether it's paranormal or not, this this house is to be avoided, <laughs> you know, like I'm mm -hmm. not going to go visit anytime soon, right. you know, 
unless Zach Baggins asks me to and a job is included. But Unless you need to pick up some drugs from a raping ghost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was consensual, apparently. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. She wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the Reseda House of Evil. That's... Interesting. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's, that's and that's near. That's next to the El Pollo Loco and Reseda Boulevard. Is that what you're <laughs> I mean. I mean, I yeah. could give you the address, but I don't. I don't really want people going no. and checking the I'm place sure out. Can look it up very easily. Uh, it is listed on Zillow, so if you do a little sleuthing like I did, you can find. <laughs> Lovely drug house, five bedrooms, two baths, mm-hmm. all been dense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, assignments. Right. Yes. The thing I, I mean I already told you guys what they were but for <laughs> for our uh, viewers listeners, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners um, okay so we're gonna keep going into a little Hollywood history here uh, uh, Jameson I want you to tell us about uh, mr. Mulholland and his uh, wonderful uh, St. Francis Dam, mm-hmm. you know. I know all about that one. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, St. Francis. That's like the saint for like animals and the patron saint for animals, right? Maybe I don't know. Maybe Jameson yeah. will tell us. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I know there's Early a good Saint drunk Francis history on it. Yeah, I saw that one. Jack Black. Jack Black. Mom, right? Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, that's where I will get. All of my research. Nice, yeah. That's okay. Like I hate to say it, but that's how I kind of learn about a lot of stuff is drunk history, and then also a lot of YouTube. Hey, they're drunk, but they're right. Right. Yeah. No, they're right. They have to get their facts right. When you're drunk, you tell the truth. Um, Pat, since you had talked a little bit about Mr. Doheny, um, I want you to tell me about the Doheny murders. Ah, I thought you were going to throw me a curveball and be like, I want you to tell me about (laughs) Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and I'm going to talk about a story that I just, uh, learned about recently, uh, which is, uh, the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. So hopefully those all tie in together. I'm not really sure, but, um, that's our episode. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a good one. Uh, awesome. Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tourism. It's available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scary. Sharing is scary. Sharing, sharing is scary. Uh, for more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. If you have finished big... If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at hollywoodhaunted at gmail.com. Peace out, and we'll see you guys next week. Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. Hollywood's Haunted, Hollywood.